Welcome to the Ether. Today is Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Today on the Ether, Y Foundry DAO building in Web3. Let's take a listen. Hey. Hey, there we go. Got you on. All right. Oh, we survived the hurricane. It was crazy in the night. Man. I can't imagine. Like 80. How bad was it? Well, it just stopped raining now. It's past us. I think we're pretty much done. But it was uh, like 80 to 100 kilometer winds. So like um, 40 or 50 mile an hour winds. But they go one direction and then they immediately turn around and go the other direction. So everything gets thrown one way and then everything gets thrown back the other way. But uh, not not bad. It's pretty mellow. And the rains, like I said, it stopped. So... Nah, we've had just regular rainstorms that are much worse. But the winds are crazy. They come out of nowhere, and then it goes completely calm, and then they just turn around and go the other direction. That is nuts. So, didn't have anything broken. Had a few plants blown over, but that's it. You guys have been hit hard recently, like earthquakes and hurricanes and everything. Yeah, God is angry with us. God is angry with uh, the Terra for dumping. Fifty billion dollars. <laughs> hey, Grant. Do you see some familiar faces, Deebs? Grant, thanks for joining. Yeah, there's there's moments of the um, there's moments that our few years back, our particular area was just hit by tornadoes, like like seriously, just a few right in a right in a row that just destroyed like downtown a couple schools around here like just now getting to the point where they're rebuilding some of the stuff kind of crazy seems to come in waves and just hate particular areas because nature has the tendency for emotion <laughs> that's pure, exactly pure it hate. i think if that were the case we would all be gone <laughs> all right we know if uh clean will be joining ray you happen to know? Nope. Hey, Grant. I invited him hey. to speak. It's been it's been a few weeks. I think this is yeah. a good one to have you on, though, for um, just talking generally about building in the space. Um, I think we can get started. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Terra dumping, it's kind of interesting because I got a I got a chance to be in a room full of crypto folks the other day, and uh, we were we were just generally talking about whether users care about decentralization. I, I always like to talk about Terra because I think it's it's interesting when people start talking about decentralization and they say users don't care. I say, well, ask any person who is part of the Terra implosion whether they care about decentralization. And I'll say they didn't care until they did. And then they cared a whole lot. 
And <laughs> then they also say, well, they don't really understand it. And I say, they don't understand it until they do. And then once they get it, they really get it. So it's like, if you have to learn this the really hard way, it's a really hard lesson to learn. But once you learn it, you don't forget it. So I think there's more people that are going to care about decentralization the further we go along and the more mature this space gets. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, and people get educated about stuff that they care about. And I don't think it needs to be a super deep, robust education about how everything works, but the general concepts and like, oh, this means that there's not a bottleneck of, you know, certain people that can just completely screw me over or, you know, the I, it's something that I can actually have a fair say in what happens or ownership. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Totally. Or like, I think there's a lot of ETH people that are learning this lesson now as like, what, 51% or something more of all transactions are now being censored on ETH. So it's like, you know, you, you either care about decentralization or you don't. And it's like, you can either get rugged or you can get censored by like centralized actors. And like, you're, you're going to learn this lesson the hard way, real fast, real quick. I think to take yes. a colloquial phrase, we can say, if you're going to be dumb in crypto, you got to be rich. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I had a thought there and I lost it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like is is I've heard the argument of like, OK, well, money's the only thing that makes sense to be in Web3. Um, and I think, yeah, the financial system, that's a great example of, you know, the power of some of this technology. But um, I mean, there's tons of other applications for that when you really start, like, if you get to true decentralization and like actual like systems of coordination between people, the sort of trustless elements, um, I think that's where you start opening it up. And I'm not saying like everything needs to be a Web3 product. It has to have a good reason to do so. But I, I mean, I think you can look at plenty of examples of like, hey, if this were, this would be much better and fairer and less extractive to the user if it were a Web3 product as opposed to Web2. Thinking of, I mean, just numerous big tech sort of like entities that exist today. We could even simplify it more and just say one of the most revolutionary things that could be used in Web3, or we call it, let's just call it blockchain. Let's, we can stop using Web3, would be titles for property, would be car titles, boat titles, uh, proof of ownership, and just general physical property. You could completely remove the bureaucracy from having to go to a government office to transfer property. You could have an official website if you absolutely needed to do some sort of royalty tax to the crown, but just having proof of ownership that couldn't be seized without a complete network hijacking would be revolutionary for most of the developed world. Ownership and immutability go a long way as primitives to building a lot of really cool things. And I totally agree. Title is 100% like it's squarely right on that, like nail on that. Yeah, and then you add the potential for fractionalization on top of that. And then, I mean, what will you have then? I mean, it's just total access to, you know, asset classes, different things that the average user didn't have any access to before. It's all gated right now. Yeah, so the, where I live, they have something called a land, 
it starts with an E, E, J, O, I, should, I don't even try to spell it, but a Hito land. So what happened after the revolution in Mexico is they threw out the European uh, overlords that were running the plantations and everything else. And the revolutionaries divided up the property by community. And so there's lots of property in, in Mexico that's communal. And the way they divvy that up, talking about fractionalized NFTs, is literally you have to go to the community and the people in the community have to say, yeah, we will parcel out a part of our property and title it to be recognized by the actual federal government. Otherwise, it's just generally communal land that everybody shares within that community. So I, I guess to say I could so totally see you uh, assigning an NFT to communal Hito land and then fractionalizing that NFT to every individual member of the community. Makes 100% sense to me. Yeah, great application, great use case. Love it. That's a, it's a poster child. Where are we at? I mean, I've heard of, there was some, some uh, entity, I can't remember the name of it, but someone on Terra that was working on fractionalized like real estate. I keep hearing that. Like It's one of those, like every year there's somebody who's working on it. Like Where are we actually at with that? Or does anyone know? And uh, anybody else, feel free to jump in, um, request speaker, and we'll bring you up if you want to join the conversation or have questions. I think the first practical application of that could be with title companies, those companies that hold titles on behalf of the property owners in the United States or other places. Those guys could NFT, you know, create a blockchain or collaboration between title companies of a blockchain. and then create NFTs for each title that they're actually holding. Um, that probably would be an initial point of utility. I, I know there are a couple of NFT based, I can't remember the name of it, but there are NFT based uh, real estate companies now. I think it'll get there. I, I think the, the regulation is probably going to be just not, not stopping it, but it's going to take some time, right? I mean, that's what we've seen with pretty much everything. I'm not I know, sure what right. I know that Exodus actually did uh, their IPO on blockchain. So like they're on Algorand. And if you own a part of Exodus, the company, then you have shares via Algorand and they trade on Algorand. But I don't I'm not sure if I've heard anybody that properly did title because I think you'd have to get the government to accept it. So I think if you're going to do something like this, it's it's like a private entity or a private uh, set of individuals that would have to do it. I know that there's been some work done for art ownership, like actual art ownership. So I know everybody's been doing like NFT stuff, but like this is where you would actually have a physical piece of art and then say that like the title of the art or the ownership of that physical piece of art, it's tracked by an NFT. I, I know that something like that's being worked on, but I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with what might be happening uh, in Terra or Cosmosm uh, around actually like land title. I, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, I think there's a probably a, a lot of pushback in terms of actually government recognizing a title that's derived from an NFT because that really cuts into their monopoly. Hey, I see Gravidal's joining and stepping up. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's there uh that does cut into the monopoly and i think you can do a certain like to a certain extent you can kind of ride the rails of the existing but when you get into like okay 
this digital certificate is true part ownership of this thing and how can I legally be protected if say, you know, some entity that holds a bunch of that just kind of like, oh, this company has the title and screw all these NFT holders that have these fractionalized supposed like portions of the title. Yeah, I I think it's obviously going to take some time to figure that out. I want to chime in here. Um, something that might be of interest. Uh, there's um, a new project or like company called Freeport. Um, and we we actually had a call with the founder. Um, very fascinating what they do. Um, so we all know the concept of a Freeport, um, right, next to an airport. Mm, and what Freeport does is um, it buys and stores high value art pieces so they have i think as of now they have a couple of um pop art pieces by um gotcha come on you know who i mean the ketchup and uh, Marilyn monroe um, warhol warhol yeah warhol they have a couple of warhol pieces um and they are sec or like sec compliant um so so they have these pieces they store them in a vault and then they fractionalize ownership um, of these assets um in a way that is compliant with the sec um and legally protected which is very cool um and then you as a buyer can can buy a piece of that you know um painting um, and then they have a metaverse environment or like a 3D environment, um, which looks a bit like um, a, a, a seaport, actually, in the sea. Um, and you, you can go in there and watch the pieces, like watch pieces that um, you might own uh, or see who owns what. Um, and you can zoom in um, and, you know, see the brush strokes, all of that, uh, or zoom out and walk around. And um, you can you can use those NFTs or like fractionalized NFTs to take on loans as well. And since the price of these paintings is very stable uh, and tends to go up um, uh, over the years, it's actually pretty good to take a loan on that. Mm, and then th they have a buyout function as well. So if an art collector wants to buy the piece that is held in the reserve, they can do so and they can buy out um, all of the um, fractionalized NFT owners. Um, so let's say it goes for auction and it is deemed 30% more valuable than you know five years ago. Um, then uh, all, all the ones who, who were holding the, the fractionalized NFT would get um, their deposit back plus 30%. Um, so it's a very interesting concept um and it's almost ready actually which is quite amazing uh he showed me the metaverse and he's he's a very nice person to talk to um very open very knowledgeable um and that should be coming um i think in q1 actually is the purchasing of the actual physical piece of art like in that payout is that all done on chain or does it require some sort of trust to actually occur at that last step when that piece gets sold and the and the money would be distributed is that is that like a trust thing um so 
I mean, the, the value creation happens on chain, obviously, or like, well, I mean, is transmitted uh, on chain. Um, I don't know if if a user will will need to sign anything. I assume not. Um, but I'm, I'm not knowledgeable about um, the details. Um, there isn't also a lot of information, actually. If we go to freeport.io, I think, um, it's just a landing page for now. Um, but good question. That is cool. That's super interesting. And I, I mean, I think just like I've heard quite a bit about just using um, blockchain for provenance of items like that, which uh, just like, you know, immutably tracking the history of where this item goes and the transactions, even beyond the fractionalization. I mean, that's super powerful, but I think there's value in that to real world items. I think the key is just like, how do you tie those real world items to the blockchain in a way that is, you know, protected, verified, that doesn't require that trust, right, Grant, you're talking about? Totally. That's that was my thinking. Just like I, I loved the whole idea. It sounded just absolutely great. It was just that that last point. It was like, oh, then there's this trust thing right at the end. It's like someday we'll get to the point where we can be completely trustless and everything's all just like happening on chain. I'm, I'm just so about like, where is that rug opportunity? How could you still lose out on this? And it's like you could be trading these fractionalized things. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, we sold the painting. And yeah, we just kind of took the money and went to the Caribbean. So sorry, guys, you know, whatever. Now your, now your tokens are worth nothing. So hopefully that doesn't happen with Freeport. I'm sure they'll be working towards trying to find some way to make it very safe. I mean, technically with art, you could have like, I'm thinking back like the original, or I guess either Tron movie where you've got a digitization process and you like literally destroy the real world piece, digitize it. And then the NFTs are like, that's, that's the piece now. For existence i don't think that that's the route we should go necessarily but something to think about i love the call out i remember that where the laser was actually like erasing him into the computer totally i can just kind of visualize that that's that's a nice visual well, i guess technically like there's there's a like 3d printing of art like as that gets more sophisticated maybe it could go back the other way and you like dot pixel for pixel reprint the like painting back <laughs> in the original medium that it was digitized in. Sorry, I can go to these crazy, like futuristic sci-fi rants. You know, I was thinking with this fractionalized NFT thing, maybe a low hanging fruit for real world adoption would be timeshares and people fractionalizing their vacation homes and that Airbnb kind of stuff. Yeah, 100%. I mean, timeshares, essentially, you don't have a title to that anyway. I, I don't understand fully the mechanisms other than the, the scheming of it. But I mean, essentially, yeah, you could issue a fractional NFT or an NFT for each particular location. But the title would be held by the company that holds, holds it as it exists in the real world now. So that probably would be a, a pretty minimal transition. The question just becomes is, is there any actual utility in doing it? via nft i suppose third parties then being able to sell their timeshare you know and just having that nft be the key that that proves ownership would be a way to do it you're still in that trust situation like grant brought up with the not actually owning anything technically but i think people in timeshares now don't own anything so 
I think that use case works a lot, though, because you still need an entity that can interface to the real world that can do stuff like clean the place and you know pay the taxes and do a bunch of stuff. Like you just we're not at the point where a DAO or anything like that could actually take action in the real world just yet. So I, I, I think that's actually a great use case because you have so many physical things that need to be done by a company. And so what you're using the NFTs for is that mechanism for doing a bunch of stuff that you would normally need to do much more expensive legal sorts of operations. And so it could all be done and operated using some even closed ecosystem of NFT transfer. Um, and by closed, I mean, you would be operating within this space of like particular NFTs and you can still transfer those NFTs trustlessly using blockchain, uh, but use those NFTs that would even open the door on certain days. You know, it's like, hey, you have this NFT and it allows you to open this lock because that's your week, right? And any other week it wouldn't work, but like you could walk up with your mobile and like present your NFT and it would let you in the door because that's your week. So there's like a whole bunch of stuff that you actually could do. And it would probably be an improvement in efficiency, which I think is always a, a great place to look for where to use an application of technology. Because if you can make it more efficient or better in some way, then it becomes obvious you should use the technology to do that type of operation. So I think it, it does make a lot of other things that otherwise are kind of hard to do or legally onerous to do um, would make it better. So I think that's actually a pretty good application of this technology. Yeah, and, and you know, and if they require, there's so many parts of the timeshare stuff that requires like human notification and intervention that if you just had a on-chain contract that you could delegate your NFT to another address for a week, like, oh, my friends are coming, I'll delegate the, you know, use of this NFT to these people, this other address for one week and not having to notify a human, not having to do manual security checks you just have the wallet and you're granted the same access yeah and then maybe even like for airbnb's sake like you've got 50 percent of the time it could just be booked on a, an airbnb or whatever and then that value could be kind of disseminated to the token holders when they're not using it yeah and speaking of like uh that to jump around a little bit with the government title stuff, I know we're kind of in, this is still a gray area and I don't necessarily agree with it, but we need a transition point. You know, the same way the government runs public use services like water and roads to some degree, you know, they could operate a public blockchain and the private companies for title management could operate on that blockchain, but they wouldn't necessarily have to actually do all of the infrastructure in terms of managing the titles and things like that. But having a, a neutral ground for for transferring and for recognizing title, I think, is probably, you know, in terms of what government could do, that would be a utility for it. When I think about what governments actually are, I, I think that is kind of what it is. I mean, we have this public good, which is the government. It has this immutability, which is you go into the government office and they have their records and you're expecting that those records are not going to be changed by somebody errantly or you know maliciously i i, I think the idea that a government would be operating a public blockchain is sort of just the natural evolution of the next phase of how you do record keeping so yes i think that that's 100 on of exactly how it would have to work and it seems to make sense that it would be a government 
sanctioned or run chain. So on the record, Grant is a huge proponent of CBDCs, is what he's saying, right? I love it. No, um, I, I just say <laughs> like that the government is doing the, all of those operations. If you were to just like kind of think about you know qualitatively what it what it is that they're doing, you can sort of map it almost one to one for a, a blockchain. So the fact that they're already doing that, like if they were to switch to a digitized mechanism, makes a lot of sense now. Centralized yeah, digital right. currency. Yeah, no, yeah two I completely that, different things. Bad. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, and I think like that's that's potential there. The like full transparency that you get with the blockchain for some of this stuff. Um, whereas now, I mean, it's like some where I'm at, some records aren't even like aren't even or barely digitized. You know, like there's just like separate databases that loosely talk to each other and. There's like, there can be differences. There's that single source of truth, but, you know, especially like I think of health data to another, another potential uh, area, if you have full control over some of that data and it's easier to access, but with restrictions, um, because it's a problem. There's all sorts of legal, you know, laws and, uh, you know, requirements around who can access it at what level. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Something I dealt with just recently, and it, it it's surprising how not that far back you have to go to run into records that aren't digitized. So I had to deal with a life insurance policy that was cut sometime in the mid-80s. Like I'd say maybe it was like 1986 might have been when this life insurance policy was cut. It was still a physical paper record that somebody had to go pull out of a uh, out of a filing cabinet and they had to review that physical piece of paper and the only way that that life insurance policy was still valid was either i had to have a copy or they had to have a copy physical piece of paper had to be inspected by the company that was going to honor and pay out on that life insurance policy so it does, you, we don't even have to go that far back and those records still aren't digitized like there is no effort done to digitize that record that record was still just paper still sitting in some file cabinet and if it were to burn or that office would have burned down i if i hadn't had a physical copy myself it would have been like well you paid in all these years but since you can't find the policy not too bad for you so i i think definitely there's application and you know good good use case for this especially you know as we start to think about uh the redundancy and the durability of of blockchains and just when they're when they're decentralized right when there's lots of copies of the ledger out there yeah that's crazy i i've, I've gone through at, at the very least there's tons of actions that you can't take online like it has to be a physical form and maybe they enter in a few of the details on a computer once it gets there but i've run into that all the time I have to be there in person or i or just send it over the snail mail for them to get an actual form kind of crazy yeah so to kind of tie that into what we think yfd is doing going forward for yield foundry is providing like a purely on-chain system of of governance for monitor for tracking voting for direction for opinion you know or guidance and then actually executing functionality on chain and we can talk a little bit, I think we talked about this last week too, is looking at 
for building the DAO piece of it and is to take instead of assigning rights and responsibilities or permissions to to individual wallet addresses you'd actually assign those to nfts and you'd create a a reputational basis where an nft would be the responsibility let's say it's the it's the comptroller right or it's the treasurer responsibility and that treasurer would have rights to manage the treasury well you could then fractionalize that NFT into a council of five or six people or five or six different pieces and assign those pieces to people to create a, or to address, as I should say, to create a council that would then, you know, guide the utility of that NFT, which has the actual permission. Yeah. I mean, I think there's such potential with, um, you know, some of the digital identity reputation sort of, functions and really excited to see that space develop i mean however we can help um or why foundry can help um and what they're focused on but also you know i know there's tons of other people that are interested working on those sort of solutions interested to see where that goes i think it's an entirely novel thing as well having and foundations that were managing treasuries, just how little of it actually uses blockchain and how little of it uses the ledger. It's like the only thing that really happens is the vote. And then after that and everything before it, it all uses other kinds of mechanisms. So I think the really interesting thing about what Y Foundry is doing is bringing a lot more of that under the aegis of blockchain and utilizing the technology to do really interesting parts. So I, I, I definitely think that this is sort of the evolution of where I think I, even what I've seen a lot of projects say they want to do or they theorize about doing. And then that, that now is going to be in reality very shortly, you know, just like launching around the corner here. And that being something that we're all going to get a chance to really try play around with and use. And it will be a very, evolutionary step in how you do governance and how you manage and uh, do treasury. Yeah. And the way that we, you know, the way that we kind of designed this too, is it, it's infinitesimally, infinitesimally is not the right, it's infinitely scalable in the sense that let's say you had a big responsibility, like managing the treasury and you fractionalize that into five different pieces. Well, those five pieces using the same fractionalizing contract, you know, instantiating a new, another in, instance of that contract could fract, fractionalize any of those five pieces. So you basically can continue there. Some people call it sub DAOs, but you could fractionalize piece after piece after piece and basically scale out indefinitely into a hierarchy of responsibility on demand. And then with the will of those fractionalized pieces, they could agree to coagulate back into that whole piece again if their functionality, you know, was was temporary or no longer necessary. But with that, you could also write additional contracts to recognize the authority of a fractionalized piece for some specific action or some specific functionality. So not only can you have like a grand responsibility 
with the piece as a whole that was then fractionalized, you could also assign individual responsibilities to the fractionalized piece or pieces, but you're no longer re responsible to an individual's wallet. Somebody could say, well, this is a communal thing, or this is a multi-sig that holds these pieces, or you know, there's multiple ways to hash it out, but essentially you're removing the, the responsibility be from, the, from an individual and placing it into a role which is where we were with author, uh, authorization technology, you know, 20 plus years ago with uh, Active Directory, eDirectory, all of those situations, those moved away from individual write assignments to a specific user and moved into role-based assignments. So I think, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, we're just actually implementing proven technologies for scaling. The description of that reminds me a lot of how governments and committees work right you have these you have these entities that have some fractionalized amount of power and then they cast votes and when those votes are in the aggregate or you know have passed with a certain level 50 percent 66 percent whatever then it moves to another authority right and saying well we've we've given our thumbs up so like, you can even think about governmental actions that need to be in accord like the u.s government the house the senate and then ratified by the president or whatever so you, you can you can easily see how the extension of this kind of stuff uh can go towards any kind of governance model it's pr pretty exciting to be able to contemplate mapping existing forms of governance onto what we've already built and how that reflects into the the digital world of doing this on chain I'm interested in discussing something that's kind of related to the topic, but something I've been thinking a little bit about. Um, so you have something, whether it's a token or whether it's, you know, fractionalized NFTs, maybe there's a little bit of both. And let's just say social token, like try to remove it from the like pure, like let's get as, as pure as we can to um, what is used within the like ecosystem you're creating and maybe a pure governance perspective and like take a take away the like over financialization of it um you have this representation of your ownership of this thing and say there's maybe 10 individuals that launch a startup or something like that and they have equal representation of this thing and one person has you know one tenth of the quote shares of this um project and they're responsible for marketing they need to bring on other people they need people to do the work from like a pure um or, or trying to get as close as you can to a pure meritocracy sort of perspective as they bring people on and they assign work to them they have to pay them in percentages of the um so, so they, they earn, and not necessarily have to pay them, it could be whatever, you know, again, take away the financialization of it, but whatever their contributions are, they start to um, earn representation within the project based off of their contributions. So think of like a bounty sort of system or even just like roles, you know, free, free people volunteering their time, but instead of you just doing it for the love of project you're actually getting you know some sort of like equal say over time based off of your continuing and hopefully 
you know, more contributions. And like that thought, I don't think we're, you know, anyone has cracked, you know, exactly how to manage that. You know, there's been experimentations on it, but thought is you've got like this, maybe it's pre-centralized to start off with, but naturally it decentralizes itself as you bring people in and it decentralizes to the people that are actually contributing. Um, because to give away, you have to give away your kind of percentage of power to be able to get things done. Like you, someone, whoever's providing value is the one that's earning the, um, the uh, kind of percentage of this project going forward. Something I've been thinking about. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that or? Yeah. In the, in the sense that, I mean, you have to kind of separate yourself from the ownership of it to begin with. It's, it's 10% of the value of the company is related to marketing. So it's not about the individual, you know, ownership of it, but it's, it's that 10% of the, of the equity of the company is dedicated to, you know, the marketing percentage. Maybe that's not the per perfect way no, to say it. That's, I think that's it. Like, I, I think it's like, it's almost like, it's kind of like a co-op. At, by nature or, or like a, a talent agency that owns itself sort of thing. So think of it as like a marketing agency, you know, marketing department that as it scales, so does the decentralization of that function to other individuals based off of their contribution. Right. But in, of course, the, the, you know, the, what do you want to call it? Objective or the desire is that, that, let's say it scales in that 10% that one person held in marketing, you know, gets fractionalized five times. So it's 20% of that. So they get, you know, a fifth of it, but let's, you know, assume or, or hope that the revenue or that the value of that fifth then equates to what used to be the value of 10% of the entire entity, because the reason you're separating and scaling it is because there's growth, not because there's, uh, attrition or, or loss of value to it. Yes. Yeah. That, that's kind of the, the key. And I think that's the key, the success and the downfall of every meritocracy is like, how do you measure that value? It needs to be tied to the value creation, like where, where that's going is who's providing value. Yeah. There, but there's, a, there's also a point too, where, there's some things that don't provide direct value to the company. Like you could say, uh, or they don't provide direct value to the outside uh, collection of revenue, right? Or the extraction of value from something outside of the company. There's a lot of internal functions that may not actually produce direct value to the, to the equity of the company, but produce insight into, you know, how the company should operate uh, I'm thinking of like research and development. So probably a large portion of research and development. I mean, just talking about YFD, there's been a ton of stuff left on the cutting room floor that's not getting implemented, but we invested time in to try to figure out if it was viable. So that should still have some value to it. Yeah, no, I, I would love to see more experiments. Like let's like break it completely away from like thinking of value and contributions from the standpoint of money, like, or some sort of like finance. Cause I, I think like 
you know, at the end of the day, money, and we've talked about this before, Ray, but I mean, like, what is, what is money? You've heard like money is time and time is money. Um, I mean, you could use time as a medium of that. You could use like the like subjective collective value, kind of a consensus mechanism of how valuable was this to our project. I mean, I think there's plenty of other ways that you could do it. That's probably honestly more useful than just what sort of like dollar amount did this add to the project, especially when you start applying some of these mechanisms to more social situations, social DAOs and maybe cultural sort of DAOs. Um, there's a lot of activity there that, that is valuable to the group, but has no, no like connection to any dollar amount or anything, or, nor should it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this kind of ties in like something else that we're talking about. We could, it's not alpha in that sense, but, you know, talking about creating competing teams to d work towards solutions in, within a DAO or within a company, um, you know, and do all those. If, if you're working on trying to solve a problem and you're not just trying to solve it with one team because there's multiple approaches to solving it. So you so the the organization decides they want to have multiple teams. You could think of this like. Uh, what is it, Interstellar? Is that one of the new, the older popular movies? Like you, you send out multiple teams to try to figure out how to solve a problem, right? So are all those teams' efforts valuable even if some of the teams fail? And is there value in having multiple, you know, paths or attempting multiple paths to find solutions within the company or within an organization? I think the answer to that is yes, obviously. I mean, and I think I think you would probably want to oftentimes fund multiple efforts simultaneously and say, okay, we'll have each of you try something out and then come back and report. We'll evaluate what's been done. And even if we don't pick you as the winner, having that, having that other thing that was done may still yet inform the team that gets selected because the company funded all of these projects. So it owns ultimately the results of all of these projects in some fashion, however that was originally scoped. And then the, the final thing can aggregate the efforts of all of them. So I, I think there definitely is value in that. Even if those other things produce things that are failures, there's likely to become some portion of it that uh, is still yet valuable and may get mixed into the whole. And so in, in the aggregate, you're going to end up with a much better solution and or you just pick the best winner out of them because they came up with the best idea. And so you, you spent a bit more maybe on that initial part, but then you found the team that you liked the best. And so therefore you didn't just serialize into one way of doing it. You sort of parallelize that early effort so you can find the best team and also get a lot of good ideas out of that first stage. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's how you scale opportunity, too, because, you know, you, we're in such a space of technology design development implementation that, you know, it, you, you may need to fire at things and you need to build out multiple teams anyway to scale and to grow that space. So it does really seem like one thing we're talking about with how are we going to develop like uh the community or how is the community going to develop and and we're using bounties to do that to some degree and now the discussion is well what if we have multiple teams working on the same bounty if it's a larger scope like a more of a architectural idea 
you know, or a design even idea to say, create three designs. You know, we're going to take three teams to build out a, a new UI for how can we make this user experience better and, and seeing what they come up with rather than siloing it into one individual effort. Yeah. How do you get away from the sort of winner take all mentality? Because I think plenty of companies, I, I think that as well as um, honestly, something that came to mind when you were talking about the fractionalized sort of roles perspective is mechanisms to consolidate those like fight organizational bloat and again kind of tie it to value and not necessarily monetary value but like value of activity like contributions but what sort of thoughts does anyone have on like what other units i mean obviously you could do time you know, kind of time spent but that could be manipulated um I mean, like a peer review sort of like votes on what, you know, kind of a consensus mechanism between the groups on what's valuable, what's not. That's a, that's a pretty weighted question. Um, I think, you know, to some degree, you just have an intrinsic, if, if your community or if the organization shares and has a clear idea of what is its mission statement and what are its, you know, ethics and value, having done a SWOT analysis or having done some sort of internal discussion to build consensus, then I think it's obviously inherently subjective, but essentially you would have to, you know, come to a determination through consensus, through whatever mechanism or authority was, you know, granted by the community to a group to determine um, the value of, of the efforts. But I don't think time is a reasonable measurement of it because you can have somebody who's very good at something do something that provides greater value in a shorter amount of time. I think we're, as a, as a society, and we're seeing it in the millennials and the Zoomers and everything, there's no, there's no value assigned to sitting at a desk for eight hours a day anymore. Yeah, as far as we can move away from that, I think the better, for sure. Especially being a small organization, you know, it has to be has to be results driven. It has to be merit driven. You got to you, you can't be chaining people down to a lot of different controls. And I think that's where decentralizing and, and letting the community drive a lot of this uh, will will create greater efficiencies because the people who are passionate and interested in dedicating their time, you know, and their effort to it will inevitably pull forward and rather than pull them back it's more of just helping align everybody's motivations to the same consensus of of what we actually want for value and results yeah i'm excited to see especially when you think of um the users being the owners sort of thought um what sort of natural incentive there will be to come up with new products, new solutions. It's going to be interesting to see. Also, I, I think a lot of times companies can get entrenched in their ways and there's a whole like kind of organization, this is what I've seen, that springs up that has particular goals and metrics that they're looking at. And it's hard for them to think through the sort of um, like a, the, the innovation and disruption that is on the other side of the hill that, you know, ideally your company would be working on it, but if it's not, then someone else is working on it to look at, oh, this is a better way of doing this and they'll 
we see it time and time again with companies that, I mean, like Blockbuster had the opportunity apparently to buy Netflix for like $50 million or something and literally laughed about it and didn't take the, take that opportunity. And, you know, there's tons of examples of that. And you also have other companies. That's called getting high on your own supply. Yeah. I mean, you just think like, Oh, we've got this market, we've got it dominated and you don't see the tech, the, of the disruption on the other side. I think examples to the good of like uh, Apple to a certain extent. Um, I think definitely Amazon, you know, thinking through like we need to put a lot of, you know, effort into what's the next thing and testing and developing and innovating um, internally. And a lot of times those are separate, complete teams. Like I think like Apple, I think this is a, uh, They'll have, you know, these kind of like shadow teams within the organization. They're no one knows what they're doing and they're like working on the next big thing and the traditional, you know, like larger organization may not be aware of all the details. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we can talk like a little bit more specifically about, you know, when you're saying how do you succeed in a marketplace? I mean, essentially, like if we want to, if we can distill this down to the most basic form of it, it has basically whatever word, whatever YFD is doing needs to be easier for people to choose to use YFD than to do it themselves. Right. So if YFD is making vaults and earning, you know, creating yield opportunities for people or allowing people to, you know, develop yield opportunities, if the cost of developing a platform right now, let's just say is in half a million to multi-million dollars to build an entire platform out, to write the contracts, to develop the strategies. You know, if if it's easier for future creators, right, strategists, ID, ideators, is that the word to use? Um, to to use the YFD tools than it is to go ahead and raise funds and build an entire platform to project their idea, then I think that is the value add for YFD in the marketplace itself. How does that sound? Yeah, I think it sounds good. And you, you know, when you think of you know, really transitioning from a marketplace perspective, can you develop because an open standard for this stuff um, and looking at it from that perspective, um, how can we support whatever someone wants to do um, and with a composability aspect of it over time, it will just get, you know, there'll be more options and it'll get cheaper and cheaper for people to use this. Not to mention there's the trust aspect of it. If there's a strong brand associated with it and trust in the code and it's been audited, you know, peer reviewed, all of that. Right. So you look at like, uh, Amazon, or we look at um, Uber, probably would be a better example, right? I mean, Uber is just driving cars, moving cars around. It's an infrastructure project. Whether it makes money or not, that's another thing. But, you know, there's reputation around the Uber brand. So the idea, I mean, we're talking about what could YFD do to establish itself as a premier brand in the Cosmos ecosystem and then beyond that, would be to enter a marketplace, we'll, we'll say is Terra 2 at this point, provide a service in the marketplace that has some demand. And I think there, there is that because we're seeing other projects now 
uh, create duplication of their own projects. So there's there's not a, necessarily a lot of utility on the chain, but we can provide an an interface to access the primitives and and create vaults on that chain, build up a, a presence in that marketplace, and then deploy to another marketplace. So is another ecosystem, which would essentially be Kujira or Juno or Osmosis or Secret or Injective, and then repeat the same strategy again. I mean, basically the Uber model, enter a marketplace, dominate the marketplace, <laughs> expand into another marketplace. And I think that's uh, in creating these infrastructure tools that allow people to basically release uh, strategies and complex ideas without having to build up an entire brand themselves uh, is going to, you know, increase the amount of uh, uh, utility and demand for, for the infrastructure tools that YFD offers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, any questions from the group? Elo, you got anything to ask or add? Um, I'm just listening in and doing doing stuff at the same time. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, I think we had a good space. If, is there any other questions or statements? <laughs> no, I think it's a great place to end it. Um, you know, feel free to request. We're happy to take any questions on the topic or anything else if anyone wants to come up. Hey, I see Clean's joined. Clean has anything to ask or say and come up. Marco, same for you. But uh, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah, we can call it or if there's anything else. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, feel free to join our Discord if you want to learn more about what's going on. Come to the Y Foundry Discord. Uh, we also have a bounty board you can get plugged in if you are interested in doing some building in the space, building in Web3 or the blockchain. It's a great place to just get started and get familiar. Um, we appreciate everybody. And thanks to TerraSpaces for being here. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks a lot. See you. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Y Foundry DAO, Building in Web3. Recorded on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Laser beam focused, star scream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man's swagger. Sitting in a little den, envision in the middle men. Listen to the fatal man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble-bubillion. Little Dan and
vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal lit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the birds view Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop Ride off the work while you try on the worst juice Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis Mock up a basement could call me resilient Waiting for the internet to make me a billion Vision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how All the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how All the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze Trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Terror spaces